0: Okay, for the key verse in Romans this morning, let's turn to Habakkuk, Doctrine of Justification, Part 4. I want to thank you in advance, presuming upon your attentiveness. Thank you for your attentiveness. I'll be bolting afterwards, so there won't be a second or a third sermon in the hallway today. And I've been practicing with my brother in grace, aka brother-in-law Phil, on my Italian accent because we're going to an Italian family picnic over here today. (laughs) So I told Phil I don't want to be late because I don't want to end up in a suitcase. But that's just joking. I won't say that joke out there. And if I do, I need Phil back to back with me. (laughs) I figured, see, that's how he's got my back. See, all the way. You're not that Italian either, really. (laughs) <laughs> Habakkuk that's a good name why doesn't anybody ever name their kid Habakkuk I mean, look at all the good nicknames Happy, Cook Happy Happy, really Today is the Doctrine of Justification Part 4 and I want to pass on some very crucial information. It's funny, after translating all of Romans, I found some things about its key verse, which really determines the whole doctrine of justification and it, it determines the entire interpretation of the book of Romans. That key passage being the thesis verse, really it's two verses, Romans one sixteen and 17. But Romans one seventeen b the second half of it, has a quotation of Habakkuk chapter 2. Now, you can. I'm going to be hitting you with some verses today. You probably won't have time to turn to all of them, but have them for your own reference for purposes of understanding this wonderful doctrine of justification. We're making some pathfinding here on the doctrine. At least I've never seen some of the things that we're discovering, so it's been a great blessing to get into this whole doctrine and i would if i were to entitle this section part 4 of the doctrine of justification i would title it great is god's faithfulness in fact at, after the destruction of jerusalem which jeremiah prophesied for 40 years with tears in 586 bc he also wrote lamentations lamentations chapter 3 verse 22 and 23 after the destruction of jerusalem The sacking of its temple, the bringing of the intelligentsia and the youth to Shinar in Babylon. This is what Jeremiah wrote. Because of Yahweh's faithful love, we do not perish. For his mercies never end. They are new every morning. Then turning to God, he says, great is your faithfulness. At the end of today's message, I think we may have a deeper appreciation of just what that means when we say or sing to God, great is your faithfulness. In part three of the doctrine of justification, I said the Lord's righteousness alone is proclaimed by the preacher who understands the doctrine of justification. In part four. I will say and am saying the Lord's faithfulness alone is acclaimed by the preacher who understands the doctrine of justification. The interpretation of the whole epistle of Paul to the Roman saints is profoundly influenced by Habakkuk 2.4b. Now we're going to take a little bit of a closer look at this. As it's rendered in Romans one seventeen, how we translate Romans one seventeen, and especially how we interpret the quotation from Habakkuk two four b in that verse, determines the interpretation of the doctrine of justification in Romans. The idea put forth in Romans one seventeen, and I hope to show this more clearly, is that justification. God's setting right people comes exclusively by one means and one source and for one reason only that means that source. And that reason is faithfulness namely God's faithfulness. It is however, God's faithfulness as revealed and demonstrated in the case of Jesus Christ the righteous one whose faithfulness is also showcased in the gospel. So Romans 1 16, where this Habakkuk passage is found, Paul says, for I am not ashamed of this very good news. My translation of the gospel, believing it himself, Paul is not ashamed. He's alluding to Isaiah 28 16. He who believes in him, The rock of offense, the stone laid in Zion, shall not be ashamed. So Paul's saying, I'm not ashamed of this very good news because it is, and I put this in brackets because it's the sense, because it is experienced as the power of God for salvation by everyone who believes. By the Jew first and also by the Greek. Verse 17 I say not ashamed, Paul says, because in this very good news, please note my translation here. I didn't do this the first time through. The saving righteousness of God is apocalyptically revealed by faithfulness and faithfulness alone. Just as it is written, there's Habakkuk 2, 4b, the righteous one will live Because of faithfulness. Now, here's where I always say this to preachers. Unida Lunida. Lunida, L-O-U-W-N-I-D-A. Two scholars who wrote the most, in my view, the most important lexicon. It's called the Lunida Lexicon of the New Testament. Unida Lunida. Based on semantic domains. It's very important. In translating this verse, they say that this verse, and the famous phrase is ek, I'll just do the English transliteration for the purpose of time. Ek pistios ice piston. Ek ice. Almost always translated in English translations from faith to faith or from ek faith to faithfulness. Almost always. But every one of those translations fails to understand that in the semantic domain of the Greek here and the Hebrew and the Hebrew text and the Hebrew text of the Tanakh, as it's called in Hebrews 2 4, or Habakkuk 2 4, it's an idiom. It's an idiomatic domain. And therefore, it means, ekpistios, ice piston, means by faith and faith alone, or we know the word and we're going to see it by faithfulness and faithfulness alone. That's an idiom of speech. So again, the lunita lexicon of the New Testament based on semantic domains is very helpful in translating uh, this important phrase in Romans 117a, the first part. That phrase is ek pistios eis piston usually again translated from faith to faith or from faith for faith. But Lou and Nita together, thankfully for their scholarship observes that this phrase is an idiomatic frame. It's framed in an idiom of speech. And so that which would normally be translated literally from faith or faithfulness to faith or faithfulness instead idiomatically describes, in the words of Lunita, quote, a degree of totality emphasizing exclusiveness or the elimination of other possibilities. So, from that definition... Together, what would, what would be the definition here is by faithfulness, completely, entirely, exclusively a matter of faithfulness. By faithfulness, exclusively and entirely a matter of faithfulness. It's not talking about one faith to another kind of faith or faithfulness to another kind of faithfulness or an interchange or an exchange. It's simply talking about emphasizing faithfulness and nothing else but faithfulness is how the just or the righteous, the righteous one, will live. So in Romans 1.17, Paul is actually saying that God's righteousness, which we've seen is his saving action, is revealed to be exclusively and entirely a matter of faithfulness. Now, are we talking about your faithfulness, my faithfulness? Are we talking about Yahweh, whose faithfulness is great? I'm asking. Lunita, again, renders Romans 117a this way. The way God has put people right with himself is revealed in it, the gospel, as a matter of faith from beginning to end. Now, we're going to see that this word faith, pistios and piston, actually means faithfulness as it's defined from Habakkuk two four. So I would translate it. The way God has justified people in his own sight is revealed in the gospel as a matter of his faithfulness from beginning to end. Now, if faith here means faithfulness, and we've shown that through our exposition, but I'll show it again as we're going to show you it most probably does mean faithfulness. Then God justifies people in his sight entirely and exclusively as a matter of faithfulness. It can be demonstrated that the faithfulness alone is God's faithfulness, even as the righteousness that is revealed in the gospel is God's. Habakkuk 2.4 is quoted exactly by Paul. I looked at both texts. It's amazing, but there's one word that's missing in Paul's rendition of the Habakkuk text, and he omitted it on purpose, intentionally, deliberately. In the Habakkuk text, we don't have simply by right, by faithfulness. We have mu. Think of a cow, moo, moo. That's a genitive, possessive, first person, singular pronoun. Yahweh speaking, he says, my. The righteous one will live by my faithfulness. Paul omits it. He does it on purpose. Finally dawned on me. So that we would look at something and that its absence would be conspicuous. And I'll hope to explain that a little bit better here. The faithfulness by which the righteous one. Yeshua. Jesus. Lives. Is my faithfulness. Says Yahweh. The Lord God of Israel. The implications of this of course are astounding. First. The faithfulness of the righteous one. Is linked. To the faithfulness of Yahweh. Yahweh. God as if the two are somehow one faithfulness for example in jesus in john 10:30 jesus said i and the father are one so we could say well there's one faithfulness then the father and the son what is more jesus said nobody takes my life from me but i lay it down of my own accord i have authority to lay it down and i have the right to take it up again i have received this order from my father in john 10:18 when jesus died therefore he died to the father with a view to his father looking at his father as the scripture says in hebrews 9:14 he offered himself to God as the paschal lamb that is without blemish or defect through the eternal spirit. Because he died to God when we die we die to God too. We go immediately into his embrace. Still waiting for the resurrection but still but seeing him. So by this one offering Jesus is said to have put away sin once and for all. In the moment of the clash of the ages, the ages clashed right at the cross, right at the point of the cross. In the end of the ages or at the class of the ages, he offered himself once and for all to put away sin. And so when he arose from the dead on the third day from his death after burial, he arose to God, his father, justified. Let me read. Romans six ten through 12, my translation. Dying, he died to sin once for all. Living, notice the righteous one will live. Living, because of his resurrection, he lives to God. But here's how you come in. So bank on the fact that you all are dead to sin on the one hand. And on the other hand, that you all are alive to God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Brackets, because when he died, you died, and he arose justified. You arose justified and liberated from sin's control. Therefore, verse 12, don't let sin reign as a king in your mortal body by being obedient to its impulsive desires. Back to Habakkuk, or Habakkuk, however you want to pronounce it, 2-4-B. The Masoretic text, that's the Hebrew text. There are some problems with the Masoretic text in many cases. It reads this way. Listen carefully. This is the Hebrew text, also known as the Tanakh, T-A-N-A-K-H. The righteous man is rewarded with life for his fidelity. The righteous man is rewarded with life. That's the life of the coming age. Remember the rich young ruler? Hey, good master, what must I keep doing to inherit the life of the coming age? And that's the whole idea. I can, the idea is I can inherit the life of the coming age as a righteous person by, according to this Jewish Christian opponent of Paul, obedience to the works of the law. Obedience to the law by doing works like circumcision and then on from then, from there. The Masoretic text may very well be colored here by the Jewish and Jewish Christian view that an individual person lives, or we could say attains the life of the messianic age because of his own faithful obedience to the law of Moses. Now Paul's leaving that possibility opening open by Taking out Mu. By taking out Mu or my faithfulness, everybody who reads this who knows the scripture is going to say, hey, why do you leave that out? The reason is to make it more conspicuous than if it was there. Paul wants everybody to know it's by God's faithfulness that all people are justified in the righteous one whom God justifies because of the righteous one's faithful obedience. To the extent of death by the cross. Now. The righteous one. In the view of this opponent of Paul for example. That righteous one would be himself. The Jewish Christian missionary. I'm a righteous man because I have been given life. The life of the coming age by Obedience to the law of Moses. Yes, Jesus died. Thank you, Lord. Put you over on the side here. So, likewise, here's where the sting comes. To the Christian who believes justification to be by one's own individual response of faith to the gospel, the righteous one would also be construed to be himself. I have been given life by God and rewarded because of my faith in Jesus, my belief in the gospel. I don't think so. So the righteous one in there in that passage would be me. But the Greek text of Habakkuk two four clearly states, quote, the righteous one will live by my, that is, God's faithfulness. So this leaves us with an already answered question that we answered in the last segment. Who is the righteous one? Well, we demonstrated, I think, beyond the shadow of a doubt, he is Jesus Christ. This is according to all the way Paul teaches. His Paul, Paul's hermeneutic is this, I determined to know nothing except Jesus Christ and him crucified. That is, I interpret all scriptures in the light of Jesus Christ and him having been crucified, raised from the dead. He's the righteous one raised from the dead by God's faithfulness. But he's also raised from the dead because God rewarded his faithfulness on behalf of all humankind. That's why this doctrine needs to be developed in more than one Sitting in more than one time. And this will be in print also. So. He. Lives. Jesus does. Now. In resurrection. By reason of God's faithfulness. Which also rewarded Jesus. For his own faithfulness. Which evidently. Was demonstrated on behalf of. All of Israel. No. More than that. In behalf of all of humanity. In all of its times. Follow me. Let me repeat the Greek text of Habakkuk two four reads "Ha de mu zezatai." That means the righteous one out from faithfulness, mine that is will live. A New English translation of the Septuagint of Habakkuk 2.4b correctly translates it this way. But the just shall live by my faith. But listen carefully. There is a note in this wonderful translation called a New English translation of the Septuagint, the Greek text of the Old Testament. And in the note it says, or faithfulness. And so, but the just shall live by my faithfulness. Even the note in the NETS, it's called not NET, but NETS, says faithfulness. Yahweh is doing the speaking when he talks to Habakkuk. Yahweh, the God of Israel, when he says, my faithfulness in that text. The Hebrew text or Tanakh again says, but the righteous man is rewarded with life for his fidelity. This is almost the Christian view. It's almost I'm rewarded with eternal life because either I believed personally and responded by faith to the gospel or because I remain faithful because of course you can lose that salvation if you don't keep faithful in many Christian ideas. I don't call them Christian, but I'm just using air quotes because it's not true Christianity. I'm not, doubting the, I'm not doubting the fact that the people who teach this actually may love God, love the scriptures, love the word. And I was there with them one time, and I'm not doubting their faith in Christ, which God evoked in them. I'm just doubting that their faith justified them. That's all. See? I love my brothers and sisters. You might not know that. So, the Greek text, with the conspicuous absence of Mu, reads, the righteous one will live because of faithfulness. In Romans 1.17, Paul simply says, because of faithfulness. He's wanting his audience to say, whose faithfulness? Mine? Who's the righteous one? Me? No, not you. The righteous one is Jesus Christ. The faithfulness is God's. And the faithfulness is Christ, who is God. But it was also the man, Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all. By whose faithfulness? Paul opens the question by omitting mu from the Habakkuk text. By whose faithfulness does the righteous one live, and who is the righteous one? Throughout the epistle, the answer becomes obvious: the faithfulness is God's, and the righteous ones, and the righteous one is Jesus, God's son. The gospel is all about His son. And in fact, Romans three twenty six b. This is a controversial rendering of the text, but I will defend it. Romans three. 26b states that God justified Jesus by reason of faithfulness. Let me read it this way. Romans 3:26b. He, God, is perfectly just and the justifier of that one by means of his own faithfulness, namely Jesus. It doesn't say that in your Bible, does it? It doesn't say that in your text, does it? And so admittedly, I'll concede. This is not the usual translation. Most English translations render this phrase something like, that he, God, might be just, and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. You see what it says there? See how they do it? Do you see how that... When do you think Satan was involved in twisting the scriptures from the Hebrew and the Greek or the Aramaic to the English? Do you think he might have been subtly involved? Not that the translators were satanic lechers, but ignorant. And we all have ignorance up to a point. So... My translation of this agrees with other translations I've read, and it is, again, this. He, God, is perfectly just and the justifier of that one by his own faithfulness, namely Jesus. Most English translations, again, either have that he, God, might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. But is our translation, the one I just gave you, and I'll stand on it even before the judgment seat of Christ, is that? Warranted. Well consider Romans 6-7. If you have your Bible. At least you can note this in your notes or in your mind. Romans 6-7 says this. For the one who died. Now we have the one who died. Who's he? The one who died. In Romans 6-7. The one who died is liberated or freed. You know what the word is here? Dikai. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. There goes my faith alone in Christ alone by me alone. Doctrine. dikai oh It actually says the one who died is justified, but with the sense of liberated from the control of sin. He became sin. God had to justify him who became sin by making him the righteousness of God for us all. So then, that's another subject down the road. So here it says that the one who died is justified or was justified in the sense of liberation. Nevertheless, the scripture plainly says the one who died is justified. Where Dikayo has the sense of Liberation. Nevertheless, the one who died is justified. So now the question is, who is the one who died? How can we be sure who he is? Let's fly to Romans 8.34. Fly there. Romans 8.34 has an answer. When the question is asked, who is the one who will condemn? Now that you're justified. And then the the question is, Christ, the one who died? To me, that's pretty clear. Christ, the one who died, means Christ is the one who died and when he was raised was justified. Christ. It's all about Christ, isn't it? Strange. I think I'm starting to agree with my brother Paul, who said, I'm determined to know nothing among you save Jesus Christ. Who's the righteous one? Jesus Christ. Who's the one who died? Jesus Christ. Who was justified? Jesus Christ. By whose faithfulness? God's rewarding his faithfulness. Jesus Christ. So why are you going to heaven? Jesus Christ. What is your salvation? Jesus Christ. What is your life? My life is Jesus Christ. So, when you read a book, you write a book, authors will say, I did all this, and any mistakes in it are mine. Christ is my life, but any mistakes in my life are mine. He's writing an epistle in you and me, and it'll be finished one day. Until it is, we're going to do this thing we call sin from time to time, and. That will test believers in our periphery to see whether they become judges from self-righteousness or demonstrate a love that covers a multitude of sins, which is the body of Christ. That's what the body of Christ does. So, who's the one who died? The one who died, who will not condemn. Jesus Christ. The answer to that question is of course not. Will he condemn no. But the answer to the question who is the one who died is Christ. On top of this, if you don't believe this, we go to 1 Timothy where the writer summarizes the whole essence of Paul's doctrine in all his epistles. This happens in passages like 1 Timothy 3:16 where I'll take you right now. 2 Timothy 2:11 to 13. Titus two eleven to thirteen and three four to seven, these are summations. First Timothy two four through six, these are summations that summarize Paul's message. First Timothy four ten, God is the savior of all humankind, especially those that believe, but not exclusively those who believe, because it's by His faithfulness. First Timothy 3.16, we hit that in both parts 1 and 2 of our Doctrine of Justification. Undeniably great is the impact of the mystery on how we worship and live before God. That's my translation. He who was revealed in the flesh, that's Christ who became incarnate, was justified by the Spirit. Dikai, the incarnate, eternal word, was justified by the spirit that means by his resurrection from the dead following his crucifixion and burial he was seen by angels and we know that they announced he is risen he was proclaimed among the Gentiles primarily by Paul who preached Christ to the Gentiles all the way up to the Adriatic Sea across from Italy believed on throughout the world This one who was taken up in glory. The one who was taken up in glory is the one who became flesh. The one who became flesh was the one who was justified by the spirit by his resurrection. And announced by angels to be risen. It's Jesus Christ. Jesus therefore is the righteous one. Who lives both by God's faithfulness and his own faithfulness which in one sense could be called one faithfulness. But it's also the faithfulness of God and the faithfulness of the man, Christ Jesus, who is the mediator between God and all of mankind, meaning his faithfulness justifies all mankind. And when he was justified, all humankind was justified. You say, I have a problem with that. Listen carefully then. Two times and two times only, the noun Justification is found in Romans two times and two times only the noun form, D-I-K-A-I-O-S-I-S, dikaiosis, dikaiosis, or dikaiosis, I keep getting the accents wrong, dikaiosis. Two times and two times only. Let's combine Romans 4.25 where deciosis is used the first time and Romans 5.18 where deciosis, the noun form of justification, is used for the second time with the intention that these two verses are conflated or combined in one thought because that's exactly what Paul was doing. Let me conflate the two verses for you in one thought. This is Romans 4:25 and 5:18. He Jesus was handed over to take away our offenses and he was resurrected for our justification. So then, as through one sin came condemnation to all people, so through the righteous act of the one Jesus Christ came the justification of life to all people. USA. USA. Universal sentence of acquittal. Now... I didn't know if I had time for this. I do. So one more passage. Just want to look there. Just speak to put another nail in the coffin of every other gospel air quotes that tries to be foisted on people. And is the reason why there is such a vast flight from Christianity today. So let's put another nail in the false gospels. At this point, Colossians 2.12. Colossians 2.12. I want to bring what I consider to be a pivotal verse from outside of Romans, but within the Pauline corpus, and show you another little misleading translation. Colossians 2 12, though not speaking specifically of the doctrine of justification does speak of the faithfulness of God and how great it is in a way that's enormously helpful to the doctrine of justification. Colossians 2.12 has been misleadingly translated in my opinion. I would say in my humble opinion, but I don't know if I'm humble. So I'll just say I-M-O. In my opinion, instead of I-M-H-O, in my humble opinion. That's apparently a new text abbreviation. I really want to keep up with all that. (laughs) In my opinion which you might even say is an educated opinion, but I I wouldn't say that because then I wouldn't be really humble. But in my opinion, it's been misleadingly translated. The majority of English translations have rendered a key phrase in this verse as through faith in the working of God. That makes it your faith, God's working. So far, that's good. God's working. Your faith in God's working. Or other translations and I'm keeping them nameless so that they will not be thought down on by you through your faith in the power of God through your faith in the power of God or even through faith in the powerful working of God we want to make sure that you know that God's working is powerful your faith in the powerful working of God. So that the verse is made to say, having been buried with him, Jesus, in baptism, you were also raised up with him by your faith in the working of God. Now you're dead. So thank God being dead, you were able to believe. Your faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. Now, the King James Version actually is more accurate than that. King James from the Byzantine text. It is accurate. In this case, it's also in 1 Corinthians 15, 22 more accurate than most English translations. But the King James reads this way. Buried with him in baptism, wherein also you are risen with him through the faith of the operation of God. And therefore, faith there would be rendered faithfulness also through the faithfulness of the operation of God who raised him from the dead. That wouldn't be your faith. That would be God's faithful operation of omnipotence, raising Jesus from the dead. And by his uh, resurrection, we're all justified. Huh? Wait a minute now. I want people who used to believe, as I did, that you're justified by your own personal faith. I want them to be confused. You say, well, confusion isn't from God. It is from God in this case. As Paul said, we're always perplexed. I'm always perplexed because I'm seeking for answers, clarity. So sometimes you have to get hit with a little bit of confusion if what you believe is not correct. No. The King James Version. But how about Young's literal translation? That comes even closer to the mark. It says, quote, Being buried with him in the baptism, which means that the baptism here isn't the ritual baptism, but the baptism of people into the death of Christ, in which also ye rose with him. I'm trying to get it exact. Through the faith of the working of God, not faith in the working of God, but through the faith of the working of God. Again, that word faith would have to be faithfulness through the faithfulness of the working of God. That's actually closer to the Greek text who did raise him out of the dead. So Young's J.N. Young got this translation once again being buried with him in the baptism in which he also rose with him through the faith of the working of God who did raise him out of the dead. Elizabethan language notwithstanding. J.N. Young saw that the Greek phrase, which reads like this, and I have time just to write this for you. TES, that's T-E-S in the English transliteration. T-E-S, Greek. Pistios. there it is again. Translated as faithfulness, pistios. Tase, again, energeus e n e r, where we get our word energy, energeus. To t o u theu t h e o u to theu God, and so it says literally the faithfulness, the power of God, which we would translate as. The faithfulness of the power of God. The faithfulness, or we could even say, the faithful omnipotence of God. And so that little phrase means, through the faithfulness of the working of God. It is God's faithfulness here, not your faith. Therefore, the translation is misleading. It is God's faithful operation of resurrection. Not your faith in God's working. Now stay with me just for another moment. That's what's being highlighted here. God's faithful, omnipotent power that raised Jesus from the dead. Even clearer, and I have to give credit where it's credit is due... Complete Jewish Bible, copyrighted by David Stern in 1988. He translated Colossians 2.12, and more and more, I'm pretty impressed with this translation of the Bible. He says, Colossians 2.12, complete Jewish Bible, you were buried along with him. Now, that goes perfectly well with when one died, all died. So when one was buried, all were buried. And that goes perfectly with when Martin was resurrected for our justification, all were justified. Hmm. Think this through for yourself. Don't do it because I've just put a few years into this passage. So do your own thinking on it. I'm not making you believe the way I believe. I'm just presenting a particular interpretation here that I happen to believe. So again, David Stern writes, you were buried along with him by being immersed and in union with him, you were also raised up along with him by God's faithfulness that worked when he raised Yeshua from the dead. That makes more sense. Imagine pastors reading this, and they have their little groups where they meet on radio and TV, and they talk. That's a wonderful verse raised up by our faith in God's operation. We hope you memorize that verse. Now send in a large gift or offering, because God will reward that seed. Imagine them, but but the verse isn't even. And so here's people that are going, Christians are going, yeah, 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 but they don't know why. Non-Christians are going, well, the hell with this. Anything but Christianity is the way we should go if it's this way. So, note this well. You were also raised up along with him by God's faithfulness that worked when he raised Yeshua from the dead. Great is your faithfulness, Lord. Great Yahweh God of Israel is your fidelity. Great is your faithfulness demonstrated in the omnipotent act of raising up Jesus, the righteous one from the dead. And indeed, rewarding that righteous one for his fidelity. And in rewarding him for his fidelity, the mediator between you and all of mankind also allowed the whole human race to be rewarded with a reward that is reckoned by grace and not by earning courtesy of Jesus Christ. I can say great is your faithfulness and even sing great is thy faithfulness in Elizabethan language, which is a far better way of speaking, incidentally, than modern English, which amounts to a certain degree of grunts and groans and animalistic expressions. So what do you think of that doctrine? Well, in... I don't want to say in closing because some people say, finally, other people say, oh, no, not yet. Depends on where you're at. But let me finish this now. It is entirely true that we want all of our preaching, anyone who preaches the gospel wants the audience's faith to be in God's power, not their own in God's wisdom, not their own. In fact, Paul said this in 1 Corinthians 2.4. He said, all the preaching of the gospel, he says, is with a demonstration of the spirit and power so that the faith of the hearers may be based on God's power. Yeah, we want our faith to rest in his power, but our faith in his power doesn't justify us. It's just something God is approving of. He loves when people believe in his power. But he doesn't say, oh, you believe in my power? You're saved then. Or you're justified then. Taking all of the credit away from Jesus Christ, making it not a matter of God's faithfulness, but a matter of your faith. That's not the point. God is very pleased with faith. He's the one that elicits it by his word and his promise. I was given the gift of faith by God. I have no doubts about any of the word of God. I have faith, but it didn't justify me. It was a gift. So note this. Well, you were also raised up along with him. When did that happen? How about when he was raised up? What did you have to do with that then? Uh, uh, yeah, right. Modern English. Uh, uh, mm, uh yeah. Or if you're from Vermont, aya. They put an A before ya. Or if they don't believe what you say, they'll say the same word but with a different accent. Aya. I really did a good job at work yesterday. Aya. Did you do a good job at work yesterday? Aya. Think the rain will hurt the rhubarb? Yeah. Tell me the directions to Bennington. You can't get there from here. Thank you. Someone actually said that. They stopped at a porch and said, they're out in Shasbury Hollow. It's like nowhere. How do I get to Bennington? Well, you can't get there from here. What they mean is you can't get there from here. So let me take you down to this road and then you go to that road. And then, But, I mean, you, you talk about a nightmare. You're lost anyways. Some guy in a rocking chair with a corn cob pipe says, you can't get there from here. So you go Aunt, and go away. But anyways, why did I say all that? I don't know. You, I started off with Italian over here. I ended up with Vermont. You can't get there from here. So... Anyways, 1 <laughs> Corinthians 2 4. However, our faith in God's power is not what justifies us. What justifies us is God's faithfulness, which operated with omnipotent power when He raised Jesus Christ our Lord from the dead for our justification. Romans 4.25, or we could say because our justification occurred in Jesus' death. No one alive can be justified in God's sight, Psalm three two. So when Christ died, we all died. God justifies dead people, not living people. So we died when Christ died, so we were justified. And he was raised from the dead just to show us that. Or because our justification occurred in Christ's death, as Paul says in Romans 5, 9, therefore being justified by his blood, his death as a sacrificial lamb that took away sin. How much more now can you be assured of being saved by the so-called wrath that my friend likes to talk about, which is on the heathen? It's always the other We're the good guys. They're the bad guys. Bomb the hell out of the bad guys. Hate the bad guys. We're the good guys in history. We're the good guys in Christianity. We have righteousness all by ourselves. It's called self-righteousness. It's an enormous problem can be the end of cultures, the end of nations, the end of families, the end of persons' lives, the end of churches, self-righteousness. Always sees the other. Romans 1, 18 to 32, the Jewish Christian missionary talking about the other. They're handed over for this. God handed them over for this. They did this, God handed them over. They did this, God handed them over. How Paul says, how about this? We're all under sin and under condemnation. Those under the law, those without the law, all human race in all times, all of us. And so Christ died for all of us to justify all of us. There is no me and the other. There's all of us justified by the faithfulness of Christ. So it's a good thing that our faith rests in God's power. It's a good thing to teach trust in the Lord with all your heart and don't lean to your own understanding. What a great way to live. Believing, trusting, all that's good. Jesus said, don't fear, only believe. That's great. What must we do to do the works of God? Only believe in the one whom God sent. That's the doing of the works of God. All that's good. But our faith in God's power is not what justifies us even though God approves of and is pleased with such faith. It's a good thing that our faith rests in God's power, just like it was a good thing that Abraham says, it says, gave glory to God, being fully convinced that what God had promised he was able also to do. God approved of that kind of faith. Romans four twenty to twenty one. But our faith in God's power is not what justifies us even though God heartily approves of and is pleased with such faith. I've never seen faith like this woman's. I haven't seen it anywhere in Israel, Jesus said. God, listen, this is the thesis of my whole doctrine of justification here. God is pleased with the faith of those whom he justified through Jesus Christ's faithfulness. Got it? God is pleased with the faith of those whom he justified through Jesus Christ's faithfulness. Moreover, the immersion that is spoken of in Colossians 2.12 does not speak of some saving or justifying effectiveness of ritual baptism or of any other sacramental rite. But rather the real efficacy of our baptism into Christ's death. For when one died for all, all died. And our immersion into Christ by the Holy Spirit. So guess what? Now you are washed. Now you are sanctified. Now you are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And by the Spirit of God. 1 Corinthians 6.11 Go in joy. Stay in love. See some of you Wednesday.